Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Those that are able, we invite to stand for the reading of our first scripture, which comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Listen to what the Lord has to say to the church this morning. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us! He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said... I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson, which is a continuation of the first as we continue our sermon series in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 3, verse 11. Continue to listen to God's Word speak to your life today. While the man who was healed clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified His servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though He had decided to release Him. But you rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in His name... His name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. 
In this way, God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets that His Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through His holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you from your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever He tells you. And it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. And all the prophets, as many as have spoken from Samuel and those after him, also predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God made to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And in your descendants shall the families of the earth be blessed. And when God raised up His servant, He sent Him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. One word about uh, the Montreat experience. I appreciate Georgia, uh, there you are, Georgia sharing with us uh, the incredible experience that our young people had. Um, it is a thin place, a place where heaven and earth come close together. The, uh, the keynoter uh, that, uh, that Georgia mentioned was named Shelley, and her last name is Latham. And Shelley Latham is a child of the Madison Presbyterian Church. I knew her when she was a young lady. And after she graduated from Converse College, we hired her in Madison to be a youth director there. So we gave her her first job and launched her before she had even entered seminary. So I'd like to think I maybe had a little bit to do with, uh, with Shelley. She is an amazing lady, and I know that uh, she touched many lives and will continue to. Oh, how we are connected. The other thing that I want to say uh, as we begin this morning and we look at this third chapter in the Acts of the Apostles is we have this amazing miracle that takes place. The, Peter and John, two of the apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, now have the power of the risen Christ in the Spirit of God at work in their lives, directing them, empowering them, this is the same Spirit that was present at the beginning of time, the Spirit that moved over the watery chaos. This is the third person of the Trinity empowering God's men and women to do the work of the risen Lord in the world. And an amazing miracle of healing takes place with this man who's been lame from birth. But I want us not to get caught up so much in this miracle as much as we get caught up in what leads up to the miracle in the first part of this third chapter of Acts. What leads up to this miracle? Several years ago, there was a letter that made the news, uh, the, the larger news circuit, but particularly the news within the Presbyterian Church USA, the letter was written by the moderator of the Korean Presbyterian Church to the stated clerk 
of the Presbyterian Church USA, Grady Parsons. Now let me say this about the Presbyterian Church in Korea, in case you do not know or have maybe have forgotten. Presbyterian missionaries were the first and primary missionaries to that part of the world in South Korea. At the turn of the last century, but particularly uh, around the time of the Korean conflict, the Presbyterian Church flooded missionaries into South Korea. With incredible benefit and blessing, the Holy Spirit multiplied the work of those faithful men and women in South Korea to the degree that the seeds that they planted have borne such a rich harvest in South Korea that the Presbyterian Church there is larger than the Presbyterian Church in the United States. The largest Presbyterian Church in the world is in Seoul, Korea. It was many years ago, but I worshipped there. The letter was sent from the moderator of the, of the Korean Presbyterian Church to Grady Parsons, and what was said in that letter that was newsworthy was that they were concerned about the mother church. They were concerned that their mother church had lost the spirit. And so, they informed the clerk of our denomination that they were sending missionaries to the United States. It has been said, and it may still could be said today, that the United States is one of the most fertile mission fields on the planet. Grady Parsons, our stated clerk, when he received the letter, responded appropriately when the offer was made that they were sending 20 missionaries to the United States who had trained in English and trained in sharing the gospel with North Americans. Grady Parsons said, thank you. We will receive them with open arms. The church of, of Jesus Christ in Greek is known as the ekklesia. That Greek word has a prefix that is ek, akin to the Hebrew word exodus, which we know Exodus means to lead out, as in the Old Testament, God's people were led out of bondage of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land. That same prefix here is an ecclesia. So to be called out is what this word in Greek means. Ek and lesia, the called out ones, is what it means to be the church. That's what we see happening here in the, the early part of this, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus had given instruction to his followers, about 120 men and women, that were told to stay in Jerusalem, to be in prayer, to be waiting, to be anticipating the gift that was promised to them by Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's living presence, and they waited, and they prayed, and the Spirit came at Pentecost with power, and amazing signs and wonders were revealed, and they were given the gift of communicating the life, death, and transforming power of Jesus Christ to all who had gathered in Jerusalem that day. And, and the second chapter of Acts tells us that some 3,000 souls were added to their number. What a successful campaign. And as we come to the end of the book of the second chapter in Acts, we have the church in a rather cozy configuration. 
At the end of of Acts 2, it says they were gathered together. They had all things in common. They were of one mind. They were of one heart. No one had any need among them. And they gathered together regularly for teaching, for fellowship, for breaking bread, eating together, and for prayer. Sounds like and probably looked like a cozy club of the elect. They had been successful. They had it all knit together. And they were enjoying their prosperity. Why in the world would they need to go out into the world again where they would face opposition and potential violence against them for those who followed and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ? But it's very intentional that the author of the book of Acts here in the third chapter does not leave them in the cozy club of the elect, but already they are being sent out. For Jesus told the disciples, you will be my disciples, you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and into all the world as if the Holy Spirit were dropped into a pond and the apostles would ripple out to the ends of the earth. And so the author is very intentional as we see John and Peter who are sent from the cozy community back to the temple. And we'll see here in the early part of Acts that the disciples continue to be in fellowship and in worship and in observance of the, of the Jewish times of prayer and in, and, and in the Jewish customs. Because those apostles born out of the Jewish faith believed themselves to be now the real Jewish church. But as we watch, there will be, as we follow this book, a distinction, a differentiation that will occur between the Jewish faith and the Christian community that is God's new thing that is being done in Jesus Christ. They will distinguish themselves more and more. And so here we follow Peter and John who are on their way to the temple filled with the Holy Spirit. And as they go, they encounter at the gate of the temple known as the beautiful gate a man who is lame from birth. We're told that it is his custom to be brought there by friends or family to sit in the same spot day after day to ask for alms, to beg for gifts. As Wesley said, because he couldn't work himself. He had to depend on the kindness of strangers. He was a fixture there. And everyone who went to the temple with any frequency would have known him and seen him. How many times have we passed by people in our own community, those who are homeless, who set up a regular cycle of life or live in a particular place and because of the ways that we travel we see that individual or those individuals with regularity we know where they're going to be under that tree on that corner or in that stretch of road those homeless ones and how many of us in our daily goings and comings have seen them disappear We don't notice. We don't look at them. They have just become a fixture that we do not pay attention to any longer. 
845 service, I said, there are those things in our lives that are fixtures that we have seen so many times that they just disappear. Take your nose, for instance. Did you know that your nose is in your range of vision? But your eyes have seen it every day, all day, that your nose now disappears from your view. You don't notice your nose on your face anymore, but you're noticing it now. <laughs> and I had a few people in 845 that were getting cross-eyed and dizzy. But it's true. If we look at something long enough, we don't see it anymore. But here, Peter and John, going to the temple as was their custom, filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, their eyes opened by the Spirit, and they see this man that maybe they had seen many times before, but in a new way. And did you hear the, 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 the uh, interaction that occurs between them? The man knew that they were coming. He had to be aware of who was in his presence. And so he could stick out his hand and say, alms for the poor, a small gift. But his head was bowed. He was making no eye contact. He was not a whole person. He was not accepted in this society. His body was, was not whole. He was unclean in a sense, less than human. He was not making eye contact with Peter and John. But with the eyes of the Spirit, Peter and John saw this man, maybe as if for the first time. And Peter went up to him upon hearing his request for a gift. And I can imagine that Peter got down on his level and possibly even reached his hand out under his chin and lifted his head. And what did Peter say to him? Look at us. Look at us. Because we are looking at You. We recognize You. We acknowledge You. You are a human being. You are created in the image of God. We are looking at You. Look back at us. There's something incredible about this interaction by these apostles of the risen Lord. There is a video that I wish I could show you, and I would commend it to you. Actually, there are two. I showed one in the chapel. It's a, it's a Thai commercial. It's an insurance company from Thailand about a man who's walking down the streets and begins to see things that he maybe hadn't paid attention to before. Water pouring out of a building that was annoying to him, he then sees a a dying plant and moves the plant underneath the water. As he sits to eat his lunch, a dog comes up and begs food from him and he gives it to him. He passes by a mother and a daughter on the street who are begging for money and he opens up his wallet and gives it to this beautiful little girl. He sees a woman who is pushing the, the, the cart of her, of her goods that she is taking to the market, caught on the curb needing help to get this heavy uh, cart up onto the sidewalk and he goes and he helps her. And all the while that he's doing these things, people observe him and shake their head like this silly, silly man. But as the commercial goes on, 
you see that there is a relationship that is built between this man and this stray dog, between this woman needing help. The plant becomes green and verdant. And the little girl who was begging on the sidewalk one day is not there anymore. And as he stands there wondering where she might be, he hears her cry, Mom! He looks down the sidewalk and she's standing in a new school uniform. It's a great commercial. But then there's another one that I would ask you to, to, uh, to Google. And just Google, look up. And it is a, uh, a, a video, it's a, it's a poem with a collage of images and, and, and tape. And what the person is doing is, is giving us a commentary on our society today. That we are so captured by technology that we have forgotten to look around us. And so the admonition is to look up. And these are the words that you hear as you watch the video. I have 422 friends, yet I am lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the space in between, looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I, I take a step back and open my eyes. I looked around and realized this media we call social is anything but. We are open to our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's an illusion. Community, companionship, a sense of inclusion. When you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion. And then it goes on to say, so when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another, learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train when no one wants to talk for fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial and it no longer satisfies to engage with one another and to look in someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make the world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. I'd be out with my friends on our bikes, we'd roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees or build our own clubhouses high in the trees. Now the park is so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no, hopspot, uh, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones, and dumb people. So look up from your phone, shut down the display, take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. How true those words. I went to a lunch the other day over at the convention center, a lunch for pastors. I walked into the room and there were pastors around the, the table. And all of them were looking at their cell phones, not talking to each other. It was such a stark picture, I took a picture. And then I posted it on Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look up. Look up. Look around. 
trying to, uh, to not just uh, talk the talk, but walk the walk. So when I pulled into the parking lot this morning, as I do every Sunday morning, and every Sunday morning I see the men and the women who are leaving the Trinity Fellowship Hall and some of them sitting on the edge of our parking lot as they make their way off on, into their day after eating what I know is a delicious breakfast that is served at our sister church. This morning I heard a woman's voice as she was bidding farewell to these people by name. Have a good day. So good to see you. Not only do they eat, but they know that someone there knows their name. I think that's a valuable gift. And I think they go not only to be nourished in their bodies, but in their spirits. And so this morning before I came into our building, I walked across the sidewalk. I walked across the street and I spoke to some of those men. The first thing they said to me was, Happy Father's Day. One of the guys had his hat twisted around on his head uh, in what we call locked position. There are three ways to wear a hat, off, on, and locked. His hat was locked on and he was smoking a cigarette. He apologized for the smoke smell. We shook hands and I said, what is your name? And as God is my witness, he said, my name is Emmanuel. God with us. God is with us. God is with us in relationship with us by the power of His living presence. His Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. God is with us. Yesterday at the, at the Flint River Presbytery meeting, Roger Nishioka was our guest speaker. And Roger Nishioka is a professor at Columbia Seminary and he specializes in ministry to 18 to 35 year olds and he calls them the generation of the screen because they've grown up looking at a movie screen, looking at a TV screen, looking at a computer screen, looking at their phone screen. They're the generation of the screen. He gave us some ways to be the church and ministering to that generation and, 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 and to those that we encounter in this day and time. And Roger Nishioka said, you know that churches are growing? And we said, Presbyterian churches? Yes, there are Presbyterian churches that are growing. There are mainline churches that are growing. All we hear about are those that are declining. And even now the Southern Baptist Church in the last three years has been in a season of decline. But he said there are churches that are growing. And do you know what he said the, the number one ingredient of growing churches is? It's not the choir. It's the preaching. No, it's not the preaching. It's not the preaching. The number one characteristic of a growing church is that it is welcoming. And it knows the gift of hospitality. And it is a place where people speak to each other. And so he made us get up in the sanctuary in Albany and talk to each other. And I'm going to do that today. Not right now. 
But can we agree that you will speak to four people, not including the persons that you came with before you leave here today? Can we make that agreement that we will speak to four people before we leave today that we do not already speak to or maybe that we don't know? Can we make that agreement? Yes? Okay. Can we? Most of you are agreeing. And if you're introverted, just sit still and they'll come to you, the extroverts. <laughs> you see, this business of being the church, of being those who are called out, it's not rocket science. Roger Nishioka went on to tell us that it, it, it's not so much about, about mission that is over there, but it's about mission that is right here. And I pray that God will continue to open the eyes of of First Presbyterian to see the ministry right here in this place. And already our, our ministers and our program staff are talking to us about how we can be a more high-touch church. Not high-tech, but high-touch. The other thing that Roger told us is that uh, it's not about mass evangelism in these days and mass mailings and slick publicizing. He said, what it is today is one-on-one -on -one evangelism. One-on-one -on -one evangelism. To be able to say to another person, I see you. I value you and I love you because Jesus Christ loves me. It's simple as that, sharing our faith. Roger then said, do you know what you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness with a Presbyterian? He said, you get somebody who is willing to knock on your door, and when you open it, they don't know what to say. God loves you, and I do too. There's plenty to share. This is not rocket science. We are built for relationship. We're built for relationship with the living God. We're built for relationship with one another. And that's what we are called to do, is to be in relationship with God in relationship with one another. And relationships are the most priceless thing that we have. Do you remember the old MasterCard commercials? Father and a son entering into a Major League Baseball stadium, and the, and the, the words say, two baseball tickets, $100, hot dogs, a souvenir, and popcorn, $200. An afternoon with dad, priceless. And then the commercial said, there are some things that money can't buy. Even the, even the credit card companies know they don't have a corner on it all. And relationships are the most valuable thing in which we can invest ourselves. And I want to say that to fathers today. Fathers, you're working hard. You're, you're grinding yourself to the bone to provide for your families because your, your kids want, they want the pony. They want the new clothes. They want a car. But more than that, they want you. And that is the most valuable thing that you can give to your children and to your grandchildren. Because the pony's going to get sick and die. The clothes are going to go out of style. And the car's going to break down. What they really want is you. We know this about heaven. 
We don't know if the streets are gold. We don't know if they're pearly gates. We don't know all the details of heaven, but what we do know for sure is that Jesus Christ is there. And we will see our Savior face to face. And those who have gone before us are there as well. And those who will come after us will join us. And we know that people are in heaven. And when Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, where moss and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal, that is the priceless gift relationship with the living God and with each other. And we are called to be the church in the world and the powered by the Holy Spirit to be the hands and the feet of Christ. I'll close with this. It's a beautiful piece that was written by a, a church mother, a mystic, Teresa of Avila. You may have heard it. I think it has something to say to us today. She writes, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which He looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which He walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which He blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes, yours are the body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which He looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body on earth now but yours. Look up, look around, and be engaged in the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of God, the risen one whom we love and serve. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.